Welcome to TLD Talks, where we share insights about key legal and business matters that are impacting SMEs today. Bringing together experts from a range of backgrounds, we will be tackling the issues that matter to you. I'm Ed Simpson, the CEO of The Legal Director, and today I'll be talking to one of our very experienced lawyers, David Garland. And in this episode, we'll be talking about shareholders agreements. By the end of the podcast, you'll know whether your business needs a shareholders agreement, the sorts of eventualities that a shareholders agreement should provide for, and some of the problems that businesses and business owners can get into if they don't have a well-drafted shareholders agreement. So David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. And I'd like to start with a very basic question. What does a shareholders agreement actually do? What's, what's the purpose of having one? Well, a shareholders agreement is a contract between all or some of the shareholders of a company, and its purpose is to set out their rights and obligations in relation to the business of the company. In short, the purpose is to regulate the operation of the joint venture uh, that is constituted by the shareholders in the business of the company. Okay, so do you actually have to have one? I, I often get clients asking me or assuming that they have to have a shareholders agreement. Is that actually the case? No, it's certainly not. In fact, there are circumstances in which a joint venture or enterprise doesn't need a corporate vehicle at all, depending on the nature of the business and other matters. A direct relationship between the parties may be more suitable, such as, for example, a collaboration agreement. But even if a company is the appropriate structure, a shareholders agreement will not in all cases be necessary. For example, in the case of a single owner who is taking on a minority investor, in those circumstances, it may not be appropriate because the minority investor may have all the protections it requires in the articles of association of the company and the owner will be reluctant to cede power or control. Okay, so um, that leads nicely on to my next question. What sort of things would normally be expected to, to see in a shareholders agreement? What sort of, what sort of terms and conditions would, would a well-drafted shareholders agreement usually contain? So we're dealing here with a quasi-partnership arrangement. That's a circumstance in which the parties would definitely want a shareholders agreement in order to set out their expectations for the running of the business and potentially their eventual exit from it, providing a sort of roadmap as to how to deal with things when they go wrong. I know it's been described before as a sort of prenuptial agreement, which can help avoid a messy divorce if things go wrong. So typical provisions, I should say many of them can be included in the articles of association of the company. So those relating to separate classes of shares or procedures for the issue and transfer of shares and the appointment and powers of directors. But there are a number of other provisions commonly found in the articles, such as the object and scope of the adventure, capitalising and funding, both initial and ongoing, or other contributions of parties, such as intellectual property rights or know-how. Common provisions include the composition of the board and general management arrangements, approval of a business plan, transferability of shares, and quite often provisions relating to deadlock in the management and termination of the agreement, as well as protection of the minority 
restrictive covenants and confidentiality. That's really useful. You mentioned, David, the Articles of Association, and obviously it's a part of a company's constitution, and it's an essential and mandatory thing for any company to have Articles of Association. Instead of having a separate shareholders agreement, would you be able to put all of the provisions that you talked about in your Articles of Association? And then secondary question, if you were able to do that, would there be any drawbacks? The short answer is no. The Articles of Association deals with the rights and obligations of shareholders as shareholders and does not generally deal with other types of rights and obligations which are really personal, such as approval of the business plan, certainly confidentiality and restrictive covenants, provisions which would be inappropriate in Articles of Association. Without going through the list and ticking off which goes in where, the ones I listed are the ones which are ordinarily in a shareholders agreement rather than in the Articles of Association. There are drawbacks of trying to put everything in Articles of Association, and that includes in particular amendment, because once they're in the Articles of Association, usually what is required in order to amend the Articles is a special resolution which requires 75% of the shareholders of the company. And so it is an unattractive uh, alternative to a shareholders agreement. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing I would mention there is that articles of association have to be registered at company's house, so become a matter of public record that anybody can inspect. Do you have to publish or register a shareholders agreement as well, or does that remain private? They are very rarely publicly registered. I've never seen it, but I know from uh, various academic articles that there's a technical argument that in very limited circumstances, they should be registered, but it is extremely rare. So unlike Articles of Association, which will be publicly available, the provisions of your shareholders agreement ordinarily will not be. Okay. So another good reason to have a shareholders agreement is that you can you can put things in there that are more personal and private and you wouldn't want to have publicly available. Absolutely, and particular to your business. I mean, there are many, many examples of shareholders agreement that can be found on the internet. But one of the difficulties with them is that they are not prepared with the individual circumstances of the company and the arrangements between the shareholders in mind. So without professional advice, they're really unlikely to be fit for purpose for a particular business. Okay, so one size doesn't fit all. No, no, that's absolutely right. What you really need at the outset is a careful consideration of the intended venture and the party's expectations. That's crucial so that you can tailor uh, an agreement so that it is really fit for your own purpose. So, David, you mentioned provisions dealing with deadlock and termination. Can we just dig into that a little bit more? Can you explain, just in simple terms, what you mean by deadlock and how that might arise in an SME? Yes. Maybe easiest just to start off with the most simple example. If a company is owned 50-50 by two shareholders, a situation may arise where the parties are simply unable to agree on a particular operational or management matter. 
And because they each have 50% of the shareholdings, it may be that you reach a stage of deadlock on an issue crucial to the running of the business because the other party will simply block it and you need more than 50% for an ordinary resolution. A deadlock is, is that sort of position where the company is no longer able to operate and be managed because no decisions are being made. And so if you don't have a shareholders agreement, what's the default position? If you were a business that would face that kind of deadlock, but you didn't have a shareholders agreement, what would, what would happen? In those circumstances, without a shareholders agreement, the only real remedy is a winding up of the business, unless one party agrees to buy out the other, which of course requires agreement. I mean, that is the ultimate uh, remedy. Right. So you, you mentioned earlier about providing a, a roadmap to cut through the situation where there's a, a dispute between the parties and this idea of a, a prenuptial agreement. It sounds like the, the default position of having the company wound up, it sounds like that's a, another legal process that's going to take time and cost a lot of money. So how might a well-drafted shareholders agreement and enable the parties to, to move forward? A well-drafted shareholders agreement will have detailed provisions as to how to deal with deadlocks, uh, including compulsory transfer of shares, for example, by and large for one party to buy the other party out at a value to be determined in accordance with the mechanism that's been set out in the agreement. I see. There are often various stages to it, which involve an escalation which leads towards the buyout, but that is the sort of provision which is ultimately relied upon. Have you come across some sort of real world examples where businesses without shareholders agreements have got into this sort of position where the the two 50-50 shareholders have have fallen out and what sort of things happened, practical problems that the business faced? Yes, well, I would say what nightmare ensued. I had one case, two companies, an operational company and a property owning company owned as to 50% each by two shareholders. They had no shareholders agreement. And after many years of trading, they fell out in a spectacular way. Neither of the parties was prepared to agree to any proposals that the other put forward. And this position went on for approximately six months. And the effect of that on the business was catastrophic because there was no power of a single director to carry on any of the management of the business. So the company was simply being ground into the ground. In the end, one of them put forward a proposal that one would buy out the other, but it was hopelessly skewed and would not be agreed to by the other party. It led to extensive litigation in the company's court initially on unfair prejudice grounds, trying to wrest the control of the party from one of the directors and shareholders to the other, and then ultimately in a winding up of the company. But that was after about a year of litigation in the company's court, which was exceptionally expensive and ended with a result which really satisfied no one. One of the other um, scenarios that I wanted to explore with you is where one partner effectively loses interest in the business and either stops pulling their weight or potentially um, tries to set up a similar business in in competition. Without a shareholders agreement, is there anything that the other party can do to stop them? 
Uh, it's much more difficult to stop them. Um, certainly, uh, they could not be prevented from setting up um, a competing business by reason of their shareholding or by the articles of association if they were using assets of the company, lists of clients and things like that. That's something which could be used to stop them. But by and large, unless they are using assets of the business in order to set up their competing operation, then without a shareholder's agreement, it's simply not possible to prevent them. With a shareholder's agreement, a well-drafted one will usually include restrictive covenants on the principal participants in that business to prevent them from doing just that type of thing. So the essential elements there in the shareholders agreement would be something very clearly stopping the parties to it competing with the business, yes, uh, going off and doing something on their own, and also providing a mechanism for them to forfeit or surrender their, their shares if they were to do that. Absolutely right. If well drafted, as you were saying, with a mechanism to determine what the valuation should be placed on, on the shares in those circumstances. Yes, there's often a mechanism which will quite often involve a valuation by an independent expert appointed in accordance with the terms, whose valuation would be binding on both parties. So in, in that circumstance we've been talking about where somebody has gone off and set up in competition, is it possible to put a punitive value on shareholdings in those circumstances? So if, effectively, if you're breaching the shareholders agreement, could you forfeit the shares? Could you could you buy them for, for a nominal sum? Would that work if you put it in your shareholders agreement? Um, you've got to be very careful because forfeiture is an issue uh, fraught with danger. I would say best practice would not be to include something which involves pure forfeiture, but it is a provision that I've seen from time to time. Okay. And then the final thing I wanted to just explore with you is what happens when a shareholder either dies or is incapacitated. So again, if we think about the situation where there's no shareholders agreement, what would be effectively the default position? And then compare that with how a well-drafted shareholders agreement might provide for what happens. Well, the default position in the absence of a shareholders agreement, that the shares will pass under whatever arrangements there are in that person's will or according to the law if there's no will. Um, a shareholders agreement can certainly make provision as to what happens in relation to those shares, and they usually do. Okay, so as a, as a business owner, if, if you've not got a shareholders agreement, the worst happens and you could end up with somebody that you barely know as your new business partner. But again, we, we talked earlier about taking professional advice on this and the draftsman understanding exactly what it is that the parties want to do and talking through eventualities like this um, and helping the parties put in place appropriate provisions that will mean that it's known what will happen to ownership of a, of a shareholding uh, if these sorts of things happen. And the other thing I would mention here is that it is possible with the appropriate planning to put in place insurance policies that will pay out and effectively fund the purchase of a block of shares in these in these circumstances. And that can all be tied in with proper drafting to the shareholders agreement. Indeed, absolutely right.
I mean, there are other issues that arise in the absence of a shareholders agreement. For example, if one of the parties decides he wants to sell his stake in the company to a third party in the absence of a shareholders agreement, it may be that one of the original parties ends up in business with someone other than their intended partner. And provisions are often included to deal with a situation like that so that both parties can end up selling their stakes and one won't be left behind with a third party they don't know. Equally, if a third party wants to buy the whole of the company for a, an exciting price, but one of the parties is not very keen to sell, the other party can often, depending on how the agreement has been drafted, may be able to drag them along and force them to sell to that, uh, that third party. These are all things that would need to be thrashed out in initial negotiations, but at least it gives the parties a means of exiting from the business in a way which may satisfy them both, which otherwise does not exist in the absence of a shareholders agreement. That's that's a really interesting point, And I think one that many business owners probably don't appreciate is that the model articles, the default set of articles that a company will have when it's incorporated, there's no provision in the model articles for any sort of preemption rights on sales of shares. I could be in business with you, David, and unless we've talked about it and got those provisions in place, you could one day without my knowledge or or certainly without my permission, sell your stake to somebody else that I don't know or potentially somebody that I don't get on with. Or, or someone who owns a competing business. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, David, so to sum up, could you give three top tips for business owners that, that are either thinking about going into business together or have done so but don't yet have a shareholders agreement but are thinking about putting one in place? Firstly, I'd say that they really ought to seek professional advice so as to get the most out of an agreement and make sure it's tailored to their needs. Secondly, I would uh, suggest that the parties have an open and detailed discussion about their expectations in relation to the business and how it is to be managed. And thirdly, I would suggest they make sure that the shareholders agreement includes a roadmap as to how to deal with potential problems and issues, such as deadlock, the death of one of the partners, failure of one party to perform, and how the parties propose to exit uh, from the business. Great. Thanks, David. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed our discussion today, you can subscribe to our monthly TLD talks covering a wide range of legal and management topics. You'll find details on our website, www.thelegaldirector.co.uk. And you can also find us on Apple, Google and Spotify. If you'd like to know more about shareholders agreements or the wider work of the legal director, then do give us a call on 0203 053 8613 or visit our website.